Um, hello and welcome to the second episode of How's the Shared Living podcast. I'm Deanie Lee from the Property Marketing Strategists. I'm Dan Smith from Student Housing Consultancy. I'm Sarah Canning from the Property Marketing Strategists. So we're on to the second one of our podcasts and I guess it'd be good to have a quick catch up in what we've all been up to, what's been going on in our worlds, what's happening. Dan, Sarah, who wants to start? What have you been up to? Sarah, take it away. We've been full pelt from the first week, really, and we're doing a lot of work on some new brands um, coming into the shared living space. And what's different, I think, about these branding projects compared potentially to others that we've seen kind of in sort of years ago, really, is that there's a real thought around meaning and a full brand. We're not just talking about people designing logos and fonts and colours. It's far more, far deeper than that. So we think that hopefully that's something we'll see across the sector, but that's certainly something that that we're seeing in our work. And we're really, really delighted that there's been real interest in our data about what Gen Z want from their accommodation. And we've been lucky enough to be presenting that in workshops in, in different ways, not necessarily just people looking at PBSA or university accommodation, but that kind of insight that the younger generation are shaping or should be shaping what the likes of BTR and co-living and develop further down the line. Well I guess we've also carrying on with some of our consultancy a bit of kind of team building and development which is something that always really excites me and really kind of I guess developing the next generation of marketeers really which is kind of why we set out to do what we do and I know we struggle a little bit to to still do that just because Sometimes when you set up a business, it takes you different curves to, to where you set out. It's really great to, to be back into that. And as you say, I kind of I, we're getting a sense that I guess maybe some of our messages are getting out there, Sarah, that actually that brand is important, that that marketing is important, that that customer voice is important. So I think there is the, there is the winds of change around, and, and I guess that means that we have been busy, that actually let's understand what our marketing is doing, let's understand how marketing is performing, let's ha- understand how how a marketing team is working and what what value they can bring so so yeah it has been a really busy start to the year and and from all different parts of our consultancy really so it's it's been really good dan what have you been up to i love what you do you 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 know that it's um it's super important that we are representing the resident you know whether that's whether that's a student or a young professional or or whatever and i think quite often again we're we're in silos or you've got your your typical kind of boardroom makeup should we should we say that doesn't necessarily understand exactly what their residents want and so it's super important that we have the data the reports the understanding of you know exactly what they want from their buildings from the services how to market to them where to reach them you know what's what's going to really engage with them and i think that people are starting and by people, I mean, and operators and investors are starting to understand that brand is so important in that. You know, I'm I'm lucky having uh, having run Nido for a time. I saw the importance of that brand, and and also the difficulties that come with when that brand changes as well, because there's a lot of evolution within each brand. Whether it's Nido, whether it's Collegiate, CRM, Yugo, you know, Yugo's kind of popped up out of nowhere, but actually that's an evolution from the student housing company as well. So. I think people are starting to understand that that brand piece is not just a marginal gain anymore. It's not just, oh, look, nice colours, nice logo. It's very much, you know, entrenched in whether a student is going to want to live with you or not, or a resident is going to want to live with you or not. So 
yeah, keep representing those those residents and and championing that that Gen Z voice as well. I think that's that's super important. In terms of what I've been up to, some of it I can say, some of it I can't. I hate NDAs, but obviously you have to sign them as a consultant. Um, so I've had trips to Sheffield, which was which was really interesting. I've only been to Sheffield once before, and it's I've used the term oversupplied to describe Sheffield a few times. And certainly I put it in a similar vein as Coventry, but probably more able to come through the sort of occupancy challenges that, that Coventry is currently facing because there's two quality universities in Sheffield. But I couldn't believe the the difference in quality between some of the old stock and some of the new stock in Sheffield. You know, there are some stunning buildings. I, I won't actually name names, but it was it was very, very eye-opening. And I think that Sheffield as a as a market, it'll be interesting to see how things go this year because of the fact that each of the the general managers that I spoke to at the, the student housing blocks and a couple of co-living blocks as well was pretty buoyant about their current occupancy rate, but not sure on how things were going to look at the end of this year. So I, I'm intrigued as to how that goes. So, yeah, my first sort of trip to, to Sheffield, the rest of my work, obviously, with, you know, I have student housing consultancy and then I have good management group and good management group is our ESG and sustainability arm. And we've been doing quite a lot on the ESG front with operators and investors, really helping them set their strategies. And that's been I've sort of thrown myself headfirst into that this week, working alongside various other consultants to to sort of understand what certain PBSA and co-living operators want from their ESG strategies and really sort of speaking to all of the key stakeholders. So that's residents, investors, suppliers. Uh, and and the actual operator themselves. It's really tricky for an operator that's a third party operator, and that's what we're dealing with. Sort of, well, two of our key clients are third party. That's tricky because they don't own the buildings. Like, there's only so much that you can do from an ESG front. But but we're making sure that they're you know they've got their ducks in a row and that they have the best possible ESG strategy to attract more yeah more beds ultimately because it's pretty cutthroat out there at the moment with the third party sector as well that's another that's another section completely I was going to say I think there's a few things you touched on there Dan which I think we could do whole episodes about one is about those older properties and that retrofit and what's going to happen Mm. with that and the other one is about being management companies and what happens with those management companies and also sustainability and ESG. I think there's another whole topic there. So I think, you know, lots that we can come back on. But the thing that has been in the news quite recently, which I know you've posted on recently, Dan, is around universities potentially being in financial difficulty. And, you know, I've been in the sector for a number of years and it's been talked about that there's some universities in difficulties, but it never happened. University, they never fail. Is that going to change? Like, what's your view on it? Can it change? It certainly can't change right now, not with the government electioneering and the Labour Party not wanting to talk about their manifesto at all. They're sort of adopting a wait and see policy. And I I don't blame them for that, because ultimately what needs to happen is that we need to raise tuition fees. There's there's no doubt about that In, in real terms. Universities are losing £2,000 a year on a, a domestic student. So it's no wonder they're going after the international students. And and that's just not sustainable at all. I've been looking at the looking at the financial reports of all universities, which is quite painful, but in particular, the tier two universities. And it's pretty concerning. You know, there's there's a lot of losses 
you look at how much they're all trying to save and and you know some of them are being quite open about the fact that they need to save sort of you know coventry came out and said they need to save upwards of 80 million pounds over the next two years and they'll do that by voluntary redundancies in the first place but potentially compulsory redundancies at, at some point getting rid of certain courses maybe selling off some of the estate and it's not just coventry i think you know i'm definitely guilty of of talking about coventry as 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 one of the more challenging markets more consistently than others but but you know there's huddersfield university of brighton came out and said that as well and then york university uh, have come out quite recently and said we're actually going to lower the grade boundaries for international students for each of our courses because we need more international students than we do domestics. Uh, and the reason for that is to balance the books. Now, for York University to be saying that, that is pretty concerning. It means that this sort of the cancer of, of underfunded universities is spreading to the Russell Group. And ultimately, it's going to mean that that continues. Now, it's not surprising, given that, you know, they're making such a loss. We haven't raised tuition fees for, you know, 10 years or so. So it's not really surprising that the universities are are struggling in, in that sense. But the first thing that they need to do is is get their house in order and make sure that they are as lean as they possibly can be, because the government in particular, this current government, are going to go after them and say, hey, look, you know, you're you're too fat in terms of the amount of people that you have, the amount of courses that you've got, etc. Let's, you know, let's trim the university sector down. I don't think that's the approach that Labour will take, but we'll we'll see we'll see what they say. But either way, this is definitely the right opportunity for universities to trim down a bit. Now, I do think that that's going to cause a bit of uproar later in the market when some of these redundancies have to go from voluntary to forced redundancies. There will be uproar. There will potentially be strikes again. Who knows? Hopefully that doesn't come in and around exam time. But but we'll yeah, we'll see. And and these measures could be a bit more stringent than last time because you won't ha- and these strikes could be worse than last time because you won't have the guidance from this current government because they're not going to turn around to students right now and say we're going to raise tuition fees because they would lose the entire student vote. And you're not going to get that from Labour either because exactly the same thing would happen. Students would even shock horror desert Labour. So, yeah, the universities right now have no guidance from government. They have very little money coming in in terms of tuition fees and that is now starting to spread to to the russell group so it's going to be a really challenging year i would expect some estate sell-offs so you know and i'm already speaking to a couple of universities who are starting to evaluate their student housing strategy and i I, again i I won't and can't mention those but there will definitely be some uh, universities that need to sell off certain certain parts of their estate so it's not going to be a good year for higher education in the UK at all. I'd like to see more from Universities UK in terms of you know how we can speak to the government, who we should be speaking to. I've done my bit in lobbying and you know it falls on deaf ears completely. I've spoken to policymakers in in shadow um, shadow cabinet and in and in government as well in the housing departments in particular. And at the moment, obviously, it seems to be that the focus is on. Uh, immigration and therefore the first thing that you're going to try and do in an election is stop the boats the second thing that you might try and do is to stop international students and so that's a bit of low-hanging fruit for uh, you know a right-leaning government to to go after and that's unfortunately 
the way that things are starting to play out at the moment. International students is a sort of target number two for, for this government. And Labour Party, and I don't blame them, are just sitting quiet for the time being. So, yeah, tough time to be a university. I wouldn't want to be a, a, a vice chancellor at this time because, like I said, no guidance, no money, and it remains to be seen as to how successful this academic year will be in terms of applications as well. So lots more to play out. It's contradictory, isn't it, that the universities are crying out for international students, but the government are being very hostile towards not just international students, but any, anyone from, from overseas, quite frankly. And I don't know that they're aware of the the PR, the negative PR that they're creating for the UK. You know, we we have, I guess, the the, the privilege of, of travelling to various different events in, in our roles, you know, and people don't feel very welcomed here. But the university desperately needs international students to feel welcomed here to get the fees in. So it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a bit of a mess and it's it's very contradictory. And I wonder, and I think we'll cover this in a, in a later episode, but what could the tailwinds potentially be for accommodation for the PBSA sector, for BTR, for co-living. You know, you talked about potentially estate sell-off. I've got some views on that that, you know, it may well be positive. So yeah, let's mm. save save that conversation for a later episode. Dini, I know that obviously we've been talking, we talked in the last episode about gender and inclusivity and events. And we've obviously been doing some work on on that. Do you want to to share where we are? Absolutely. Yeah. We were obviously at the Property Week conference back in December. And I think you mentioned on the last episode, Dan, about the the last panel on that session being all male and and the, the uproar around that. And many people after that came to us and kind of said, well, actually, you guys really need to do a women's networking event. Mm. And we took that away. We kind of mulled over over Christmas and spoke to quite a lot of people, kind of real estate, property, women events, uh, diversity, kind of real estate balance, all these kind of organisations around trying to deal with this issue of inclusivity and diversity and gender and property. And so we thought, well, what, what can we do as with our platform, with our voices to try and kind of change this in our PBSL world, not just PBSA? And so we we kind of didn't want to do anything just because we thought it was a good idea. Um, you know what we like? We like to do a bit of data. We like to do a bit of research. So we have sent out, with, it's still live. So we're still looking for people to 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 go and fill that out. And really just sent kind of a survey out about, well, if you're doing a networking event that was kind of focused around in- inclusivity and diversity, what would that look like? What would you want it to be? What should it include? We constantly have a debate with ourselves because we're obviously a women-led business. And, you know, I dream of a world where we don't need to say it's women's led. We don't need to focus on it. It just is as it is. I know we're not there yet. So I know we do have to have women only events, but I want a world where we don't have to have women's only events. We don't have to, you know, it's just that everyone is fair across, you know, all diversity and we're all inclusive. And, you know, and I guess we have to have these conversations to get there. But I do dream of that, that world and one day hopefully it'll happen. So part of that conversation is, did we, did we did we want to stamp it as a women event? Because we do want our male counterparts to be there, because if they're not there, then nothing's going to change, you know. And so I guess we've kind of come full circle. And I think most important for us in this event is around that inclusivity, that diversity, people of all levels, you know, this hierarchical structures that we have that actually 
this event, this is where the investors and developers go to. This one is where the operations and marketing can go to. And actually, let's have an event where we can all learn from each other, where we can all network. We can network with people out of our sector, in our sector, in our departments, out of our departments. And yeah, and really make it inclusive. As I say, we haven't got all that data back. So we're still waiting to hear from that. I think one thing that is becoming apparent from that, that whilst... I know sometimes we talk about a sector that, you know, we have we are rebalancing gender and that is a positive thing. I think diversity we still have a massive issue in. And I think that is coming through from the survey results that we've got already. And we're tr- really trying to find find that network, really, because that needs to change and that's wrong and we need to sort that out. So quite frankly, the results that we've had from the survey so far aren't going to help us because they're basically from white women aged 35 to 44. And that's not going to give us the data that we need to be able to put on an inclusive event that takes the views of the sector. So anyone that's listening or has a voice or has a network, we'd really love more people to complete that survey, because otherwise we're going to be kind of feeding the problem by putting on an event that's based on the views of a very specific part of the the sector. So we'll we'll keep you updated. Once we've got some meaningful data from it that we feel is representative of the sector, then we will, of course, share it. Um, And whatever event that we decide to put on will be representative of those findings. We're not going to start putting events on as a, as, a, as a regular thing because there's loads and loads of organisations that do it brilliantly. But we did think, well, what if we could put one event on that puts all the right people in the right room and then all of these brilliant organisations that lead the way in diversity and inclusion, they can be there and you know our network can hopefully find those, those groups. What we did learn from talking to all of these brilliant and diversity and inclusive groups is they're very focused either on construction or real estate. We did t- touch on this in the previous episode. Then they're not about not people from PBSA or university accommodation or BTR. They're not for asset managers and the development team. They are for everybody, but for some reason they're massively underrepresented from the shared living sector, particularly kind of frontline operations people. And they, you know, they 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 were quite welcome to the conversation that we had to kind of draw that to their attention. Um, but we would say is that anybody that's listening that's looking to to join a, an inclusive group, do approach these organizations because they they are for you. And for whatever reason, our shared living sector hasn't felt like they are those, those people. So we hope to break those barriers down with this mysterious event and these organizations. And the other thing that came out of that is that that someone from one of these organisations did say that actually the the residential shared living sector is behind where everyone is when it comes to those senior execs. We're still heavily white male across those senior executives. And it's, you know, and I think I think because we do see lots of women and we see lots of women probably across the business, we think we pat ourselves on the back and we're doing a great job. But actually, when you sit back and look at these executive teams, yeah, we, we have a problem um, in, in many areas. So, yeah, as Sarah says, I think there's a lot that we're still trying to do and we need the network to help us do that. But as a sector, obviously, there's there's still a lot more what we can and should be doing, really. I think that there, there's definitely an acceptance of that. And and I think that the the Property Week panel that Rebecca O'Hare commented on, where where she was saying, look, you know, we're, we're all for inclusivity, but... Um, but you're you're an entire panel of men and it's the all-star panel. So it's the kind of panel that you want to be looking up to. And, you know, there were some 
very talented men men up there and they've you know they've been extremely successful uh, for for the most part so that's that's great you you know got a bit of an aspiration there but you have to bring it in and make it more inclusive like there's there are so many women in good positions now that we should be championing and shouting about and i know that uh, duncan uh, from empiric who uh, who was effectively hosting and moderating that session we're, we're saying look you know there is work to do but this is what we're doing and each of the panelists then said what they were doing as well so there's definite progress being made but we're still away from from where we need to be so yeah these any kind of events that are that are going to be inclusive any kind of surveys where you're you know bringing in the data from from underrepresented areas i think that's that's absolutely key so again long may that continue when we were in we were at the class conference in November and and we were lucky enough to be asked to host networking events throughout the day and we hosted a women's breakfast and it was the most attended event of of the Mm. day that we hosted and it was a real diverse mix of women that that came together from you know all different parts of the sector at all different different levels and I think it was I think it was Soraya from from Nido who said you know the problem is leadership if you can't see it, you can't be it. And I think that's that's the difficulty is that, you know, talking about an in inverted commas, an all-star panel, there are senior women out there and somebody didn't look hard enough for them. You know, and that's that's the truth is that the, the, the men in the senior positions are are louder. And there's a tradition, you know, they're, they're, you know, they're potentially, you know, repeat conference panellists. So they're, they're quite easy to pick off. So, you know, they're there. But I think the sector just needs to try a bit harder. Without a doubt. And I think that that's on every single person on a panel or, you know, or, or you know, whether they're hosting or moderating or helping to set things up. I think it's on us to champion that inclusivity as well. So, you know, making sure that there is good representation across as many areas as you possibly can, as many demographics. I think that's that's absolutely key. It can't just be that, you know, 60-year-old white guy in a boardroom. And I and I I do think we're moving away from that, but we need to we need to accelerate that for sure and and bring about that change a lot sooner. Well it was to Rebecca's point, and that was her question at the Property Week conference, was how can you represent your tenant body? If you're not a rep, you know, if your company doesn't represent them and that as well as a lack of diversity in gender, you know, diversity in skin colour and, you know, disability. You know, we we have asked in our in our survey about if anybody considers themselves to be neurodiverse or if anybody has a dis- disability, does anybody have any requirements regarding accessibility? Because that is the the the, the population, you know, and actually yeah. there are the shared living residential sector is not representing the population so how can they build how can they develop how can they understand the customer if they aren't representative of the customer Um, and that's potentially where we see a lack of diversity in thought and evolution and innovation Um, it's got to come from the top completely agree still lots of work to do and so Sarah this we've recently launched our latest youth forum research on marketing about how students engage with marketing and I think, you know, obviously we're marketeers, it's our specialist subject and and we found it fascinating. I think we found it surprising what we found. Yeah, I mean, with our youth forum, it's it's quite short, sharp surveys and then focus groups. And we just try and hit on kind of really current issues that can really help the sector develop and evolve. And we've been doing this for a couple of years, but we hadn't 
done marketing yet so we wanted to find out how students engage with content what channels they use how they search for accommodation and we'll be releasing the the full report and we have got sound bites available from those focus groups but it's it's not it's not as out there as you'd expect instagram still is the key channel that students engage with over tiktok and even this morning i've seen people talking about how popular tiktok is but students still are enjoying using instagram I think the caveat to that is Gen Alpha, I think, will flip that and TikTok will probably reign supreme over Instagram. But certainly for the moment, it is. And, you know, another highlight is that need and want for user generated content. Um, they don't actually want to see beautifully dressed posed pictures of of rooms. They want to see how people are using them. And, you know, the, I guess the process that we're seeing is Google search for student accommodation in X city. They'll then go to a website and it may well be a PBSA operator's website. They'll then go to Instagram to look at what those rooms really look like and what the experience is like. And then they'll go to a forum to see what people are saying about that accommodation. And then they're looking at reviews to find out how that reflects. Once they've done all that, they might well be ready to book. So what we've learned is that it's massively important to be in all of all of those areas, but also as an operator to be monitoring what's going on in all of those areas. You know, how many operators are looking at what students are saying in the student room, for example? And if they are on student crowd, are they responding to the, you know, the the reviews? Because you know, that's a key part of customer service that students are really looking for. So yeah, they're looking for the real, they're looking for much less curated content. So yeah, that's that's the highlights really. Um, but yeah, do make sure that you look up the full report because it could really influence marketing in student accommodation and beyond. I, I saw that from Gareth Duffin this morning, wasn't it? Talking about TikTok. Uh, and incidentally, Gareth Duffin's podcast, Know Your Shift, is very focused on uh, shared living, PBSA and various other sectors too. Well worth uh, a listen. Um, but yeah, really interesting to see that he, you know, he's putting things out there on TikTok. Who knows? Maybe it's something that we'll try. But I've also seen the likes of Harris Associates sort of marketing PBSA buildings for sale using the likes of TikTok or taking a, you know, a very different approach to the sort of typical commercial sales agencies as well. So yeah, it's, it's really fascinating to see how social media in particular is used through, you know, all well, the entire life cycle of a, of a PBSA. But, but yeah, I think it's always Instagram will, will stay for, for quite some time, I think, but I'm sure the market share of TikTok will will creep up. So that's going to pose a bit of a headache for some operators to create that video content and make sure it's engaging and not just your your typical dull, like 360 of a room or whatever it might be. There's there's really good opportunities um, to, to be a bit more creative, a bit more innovative with, with your content. So some exciting marketing projects coming up, I'm sure. So that, I think, wraps up episode two for us. Thanks very much for listening. Let us know what topics you want us to cover. This is very much your podcast as much as it is ours. So we want to make sure there's plenty of engagement from all areas of the shared living sector. Do please get in touch. Do want to cover as much as possible. Thanks ever so much and we'll catch you soon for episode three.